from the book of Galatians. The law was our guardian until Christ came. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. Well, as exciting as that uh, gospel reading was about pig demons, we're actually going to be talking about Galatians uh, today. And so if you want to look in your bulletins along with me, we're in Galatians chapter 3. And we're actually kicking off a little mini-series in this book of Galatians. But today we're going to be looking primarily at the question, in what or in whom do we trust? In what or whom do we trust? And I want us to start thinking about this question. And so think about for a second, what are the things that you put your trust in, even daily things, even small mundane things that you expect to hold you up? One of the things that you might think about, for example, is you might trust that most of the drivers on the road are going to be predictable, right? They're going to be in there. I mean, maybe not in Vero Beach, but in some places they are predictable. They stay in their lanes, right? You know that they're not just going to do a 360 uh, fast and furious spin in the middle of the road. So you trust that the people around you are going to drive in a predictable manner. You might trust, for example, that if you go to your grocery store, it will have food on the shelves, You're going to trust that your electricity will work unless we have hurricanes, which are coming. Uh, Or you might trust, for example, in being the master of your own fate. Now, I tried to slip that one in there, but one of these is not like the others. Uh, Most of the time, though, it is true. One of the greatest comforts that we can have is to rely on ourselves and try to uh, create our own future, our own destiny, and not rely on the foundation of God's loving kindness. And this is actually one of the things that's happening in the background of our text in Galatians for this morning. In fact, what's interesting about being dropped in the middle of this book is we're kind of being inserted into this heated family-style or family court-style custody battle over to whom we belong. That's what's happening in Galatians, is a custody battle over our hearts and our souls. And so, before we dive straight into our text, because we're starting in chapter 3, I'm just going to give us a little bit of background information and context about what's happening in this book of Galatians. You see, when Paul's writing to the church of Galatia, a crisis had struck them. There were new Christian converts, and they had been given this gospel of grace. They had been given the message that Christ died to atone for their sins— But another group had come in after Paul and his message and began to lead them astray, began to try to attach them to the law. In effect, they had come in and said, you know, yes, Jesus Christ, and He died for you, and that's great, but, but, that Old Testament law thing, 613 laws, you got to follow them too. That's part of it. You got to, you got to, Open up your Bibles and, and, you know, from the very beginning, follow every single one of the laws and and, uh, regulations and rules that were in place there. It's kind of like, has anybody here ever received those junk mail things? I'm sure you do. That they say, you know, congratulations, you're a winner. You know what I'm talking about? I remember my I remember my parents, it was probably not very kind of them, when I was young, they would hand those to me to open. And as a young kid, I felt so excited. It's like, I I won. That's, That's incredible. So you'd open it and be like, congratulations, you've won an opportunity to win if you apply in this way for something great, you know? And that's kind of what was happening to the church at Galatia. 
Paul had come and said, you know, congratulations, you have won. You now have access to the Father through Jesus Christ. And this other group was coming and saying, yeah, but you really just won the opportunity to try to get access to God. And by all appearances so far in the book of Galatians, the, the church had actually bought into the lie. They began trading the freedom and joy that comes from living life in the Spirit of God for a certain familiarity and structure of the law. And that might sound like an unbelievable thing to do. Why would you lose the gospel of grace in order to go back and adhere to the law? But it's really not that unbelievable. You and I face the same temptations. Because if you follow the law, you have crystal clear expectations and clear markers for success or failure. And that clarity, that structure can provide you with a sense of security and self-worth. And that was their temptation. You know, they may not have been raised with the Jewish law, but a lot of things about it made sense to these young Christians. Doesn't it make sense that you have to earn your salvation? That's how a lot of us live. Doesn't it make sense that if you do enough good, you will get to heaven? Do you know anybody who believes that? If you just do enough good, if you're good enough, you'll get to heaven? Part of that makes sense to us, right? I mean, that's, that's the way that the world seems to work. Do enough bad, you know, you'll go to hell. That seems to be the way that the world works. It makes sense that you have to earn your own way. It makes sense that you would find your moral worth and how good you are and how many good works you do compared to your neighbor, right? Has anybody ever done that? At least I'm better than so-and-so, right? At least I'm better than Jake. No, I'm, I'm not going to say that. I won't say your last name on, on this. But, you know, at least I'm better than so-and-so. And so in the law, they were facing two temptations. Here were their temptations. They had a temptation to earn their salvation through good works, right? And they had a temptation to judge their worth through good works. The only issue that Paul brings up to the Galatians, and, and we're getting to where our text comes in, the only issue that Paul brings up to them, he says, you can't earn your way to heaven no matter how good you are. God doesn't demand good, he demands perfection. And he quotes this to illustrate this point. Uh, I think it's Galatians 3.13. He says, you know what the law says? is cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. What Paul's saying is there's not a good enough we're not talking percentages here. It's not, well, if you obey 80% of the law, that's good enough, or 90% of the law, that's good enough. It's no. Cursed is anyone who does not abide by all of the law and do them. There's no participation trophy, right? There's no most improved. There's no best hustle. By the way, those are, those are all the trophies I got growing up. I wasn't very athletic. But there's no, like, you know, for somebody like me, there is no, there is no good enough. You've made it. So the law can't save you. And that was Paul's point to the Galatians. Don't go back to something that can save you. However, however, the law did have a role to play. Let's look at our passage for this morning. Uh, Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 23 and going to verse 24. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Look at that word guardian with me for a second in verse 24. The word guardian, the original word for this in Greek is pedagogos. Pedagogos. 
And there's not really a good English equivalent for this word. And the reason is because our society functions a little differently. But it basically means something along the lines of a guardian or a taskmaster, a disciplinarian, or uh, my wife and I, mostly my wife, I just keep popping my head in the room. We're watching Downton Abbey right now. And there's this idea of a governess. You know the English concept of a, of a governess? That's kind of this idea of a pedagogos. You see, in ancient Greece and Rome, if you were a wealthy parent, you would take your newborn and give them into the care of a nanny for the first six years of their life. And then after the newborn would be in the care of the nanny, the, the newborn would be passed off, the six-year-old would be passed off to the pedagogos to make sure that this person was a good Greek or Roman citizen. And this, this pedagogos was no Mary Poppins, right? This wasn't like a kind, loving, you know, caring person. They used to uh, pull ears cane, smack. I mean, there was, there was a real… It, it wasn't, you know, I'm going to love and care and nurture you into adulthood. It was, I'm going to use whatever means necessary to shape you into the person that you need to become. Do you all move me when I say that? That's what a pedagogos was. And this is exactly the word that you, Paul uses to describe the law because the law was useful in creating a stable society and a structure, Right? Let's look at some of the uses of the law, and I'm going to be brief about these. Um, but here's some uses of the law to create, to be a pedagogos for this society. One, it was a deterrent. And you know this, right? If there's a harsh enough sentence when there's crime occurring, people aren't likely going to do the same thing, right? That's a deterrent. The law was a restraint, imprisonment, or exile. You can't keep doing that. Restitution. The law was pay back what you owe somebody. If you took four of my sheep... I would get my sheep back from you, right? That's restitution. And retribution. This was an eye for an eye. Because you have done these things, you'll be paid back in kind. Y'all follow me on this? This is, this is the law and how the law functioned as a harsh disciplinarian and a taskmaster, but for a purpose, a pedagogos. There was one more tucked in there, though. One more function of the law, and it didn't ever really seem to come across. It didn't seem to work very well for the hearts of the Israelites. Here, here's the fifth use of the law, reformation, punishment that seeks to promote better behavior. Now, it's funny, this seems to be the least effective use of the law, and I've lived this out, right? So, I'm, as you all know, and I talk about them all the time, uh, I've got two young boys. Gabriel is about two and a half now, a little older than that. See, I'm a great dad. Um, He's, he's somewhere around two and a half, and I remember when my, when my kids were born, my wife bought all these books and got all these apps about, you know, how to raise a child properly, right? And I was like, you know, it's fine. We'll figure it out. And then my child started to move around, and I realized, uh-oh, he's going to be trouble. Uh, he, he is not going to just follow and do everything that daddy says just because daddy loves him. And so I did a knee-jerk reaction, and I panicked, and I went and bought probably a dozen parenting books, each promising the perfect structure on how to raise your child. And I figured, you know what? I don't know what people complain about. As long as I create the perfect home environment and the perfect disciplinary structure, my kid's going to be perfect. I hear some loud laughs out there. Um, and It worked. No, it didn't. Of course it didn't work. That's absurd. Uh, I mean, he's a good kid, but, but you can't create a system in place to change somebody's heart. You can't create the perfect societal structure to change heart. The truth is, my son is obedient and thriving when he and I are most connected. 
and the moments that He knows that I love Him and that He feels secure in my love and He has a desire to please me. And because He's two, He also just kind of happens to want to do what I'm asking Him to do anyway, right? That's really easy parenting then. Um, The truth is it's not that often, but as a parent, I would much rather, if I had the choice, guide Him through a loving relationship than have to rely just on a stick and carrot. And I think most of us can, can identify with that, right? Most of us would much rather that sort of relationship with the people that we work with or that are our children. We would much rather guide them through a loving relationship than through punishment um, or carrot or, or reward. And, that's Paul's, and Paul's point for us here is that that's God's heart for us too. He said, see, I said earlier that we were thrown into the middle of a custody battle in our text, and this is what I meant. Jesus Christ opened the way to God. And we have been given the Spirit of God through the Holy Spirit to direct us. We're supposed to be being led by the Spirit and therefore freed from the Old Testament law. Now, we're going to talk about this a little bit next week. This does not mean that we don't have moral direction, but it does mean that we have direct access to God as our parent. The law no longer binds us, it no longer separates us, and no longer tells us that we're unworthy to be in the presence. It no longer keeps us from being unworthy to be in the presence of God. Let's look back at our text. So the law was our guardian until Christ came. Again, we're starting in verse 24 here. That we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. We're no longer being whipped by our pedagogos. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves in Christ. There was an ancient, another ancient Roman custom that Paul's readers would have been familiar with, the coming-of-age ritual for Roman citizens, for, for Roman boys becoming men. When a Roman youth came to the near of adolescence and his time with his pedagogos, when he was going to graduate from his pedagogos and outgrow his need for him, he would remove the crimson-bordered garment that he wore from childhood and put on what is known as a toga virilis. This was the, the garment, the clothing of an adult to be treated as an adult, to live as an adult, to mark his entry into uh, manhood. And so what Paul is writing to the Galatians is, you have already reached a point in your faith that you can rely directly on God. Don't slip back into an immature faith and try to be saved by the works of the law. You don't have to become Jewish to get to God, and you don't have to be perfect in the eyes of the law. It isn't about what you do, but about what Christ has done for you on the cross. Now, here's a caveat in that. You'll notice that I said uh, it was a ritual rite of a man going into manhood, right? I didn't say person or person or anything like that. That's because back in that culture and in that day, these, uh, this entry into manhood, this ritual was something preserved directly for men and only for men that men would have access to. And it certainly was something that was culturally based. But Paul catches that, and that's why he finished this, finishes in uh, verses 28 and 29, and he says this, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. In a society that held Gentiles and women and slaves in a second-class status, Paul is saying, no, no, no. All of you have access to God through faith in Christ. 
All of you have access to your Father. It isn't about a sense of worth or achievement to get to God. This is about doing all of the right things, and I bet a lot of us live that way. Does anybody ever feel like you really need to get yourself cleaned up before you can even pray? We still fall into that trap and into that mentality. What Paul's saying here is because you are his children, because you are no longer under the law, but you are under faith, you have access, you have worth. As a Christian, you are a child of God, and Paul's saying lean into that relationship. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we can trust to live by your Spirit as the one who serves as our true guardian, the one who leads us to you in faith. I pray that we would stop trying to rely on outside structures to give us a sense of worth or security, but instead, God, we would just come directly to your throne and seek you. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.